0: Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned and the insights they have to share about the ever evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, I'm Kimberly Dondo, and in today's episode I'm joined by Alistair Black, Head of Savings Policy at Aberdeen. Thank you for joining me today, Alistair. Oh,
1: thank, thank, thank you for, for having us, Kimberly.
0: Um, so if you could give us a bit of background into yourself and how you got started at um, in financial services.
1: Uh, okay, so yeah, Alistair Black, head of savings policy. Um, oh, how did I get started in financial services? So, right, uh, I, I guess I've been in financial services my entire career. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I did maths and statistics at university and went uh, into financial services to do uh, to do actuarial work. Um, but then, throughout my career, I kind of got really interested in what the services we were providing as financial service providers. And so I moved much more into kind of proposition, marketing, policy. and the careers, my career has just moved quite far away from the actuarial side of things, mm-hmm. much more into trying to understand what are at a simplest level, you know what are the financial services that people need, and how can we? How can we deliver them effectively and mm-hmm. then over time that then moved into recognizing that the regulation that the kind of government regulation was a big driver of that so i got mm-hmm. more and more involved in the policy side so uh, my career has probably moved throughout uh, kind of closer and closer to um, kind of how do we deliver good good customer outcomes in the mm-hmm. in the context of we're about to talk about consumer duty how do you mm-hmm. deliver good customer outcomes? You know what does good look like, but also how does government policy? How does government policy interact effectively with that?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, sounds very interesting, um, and also very helpful, especially to you know our audience of advisors. Um, so, as you said. Um, you at Aberdeen have done quite a bit of extensive research into um, the outcomes or how advisors are dealing with the consumer duty six months on. Um, so can you share um, insights from the research commissioned um, on the experience of financial advisors six months after the implementation of consumer duty? Uh, yes,
1: yeah, so it might be worth me briefly touching on why this is so important to us at Aberdeen and also why it's really important why it really matters to me. Why why I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of me commenting, so the bit of uh, Aberdeen that that I work in is the advisor platform business, um, and our um, I guess our entire ethos as a delivery as a as a provider of platform services to advisors is supporting them to effectively deliver their their service to their clients. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately the success of the advisors that use our platform will drive our success as well. So we're inextricably interlinked. And um because be, because of my role working closely with the government and having an eye on change, we anticipated even before Consumer Duty came in that this was going to have quite a big effect on, mm-hmm. on advisors, both directly and, and indirectly. Um and did quite a lot of work in the run-up to the implementation of Consumer Duty as of as of the end of July last year in terms of trying to understand what the impact would be in advisors and trying to help them implement implement this effectively. So it mm-hmm. seemed quite um, – it seemed like an opportune moment to kind of take stock after, uh, yeah. six months after the after the implementation to go, actually, there was a whole run-up of getting stuff implemented at the end of July, but since then – Um, financial services generally have been trying to work out how do we embed consumer duty. So consumer duty was very much uh, a kind of implementation program. It was about raising standards across all parts of financial services Mm -hmm. in order to ensure that people were held to that higher standard to deliver good customer outcomes. And I was really interested to understand where advisors' heads were in terms of actually how the last six months had gone and things were starting to embed. And actually, as a result of the last six months, where you know, where were advisors prioritizing efforts? And actually, where, where would they value more, more support and, and help? From the industry, so industry providers like ourselves, but also from um from, from the FCA. Um, and in that context, I guess the first question that we asked in the research was asking advisor firms the four outcomes within consumer duty. So mm-hmm. that's the uh, products and services, price and value, consumer understanding, and consumer support. Um, which of you know which of these were they most focused on? Which were these? Which of these were they prioritizing in terms of enhancing processes and controls, and and saw as being a key area that they wanted to raise the standards. Going back to their um, the FCA intent within their firm based on based on their services. Now, when we did the survey, we kind of expected that. Um, I, I guess we hope that there will be like one or two clear winners, mm-hmm. which, which was very much along the lines of, you know, which which of these? Oh, and the entire industry is focused on one item and it's clearly important and that's where we needed additional help. Yeah. Um, and that didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, what no. we saw was pretty even, um, pretty even responses um, from kind of high 40s to high 30% uh, of customers. But the, because you know we allowed firms in the survey to pick to pick more than one item if they were focusing on it. Yeah uh, but it was a fair it was a fairly even spread uh, so I think actually that in itself is is fairly interesting because I think it probably demonstrates two things. So one is mm-hmm. on all of the advisor firms that we surveyed, every single firm said that they were prioritizing as part of consumer duty looking at one or more of the outcomes. So that yeah. think, demonstrates a real level of engagement by the industry on. Actually, consumer duty is here to stay. We've gone past implementation, but actually mm-hmm. recognise implementation is not a one and done. As the FCA has said, it requires further work to enhance and embed that. Um, and the fact that every firm we spoke to picked one or more of the outcomes, I think, clearly demonstrates they're all taking that seriously, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the spread across all of the outcomes, I think, is demonstration of um, the fact that different businesses have got different models. And different challenges, and so actually, in in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, I guess it shouldn't have surprised us that it was it was it was it was, it was broad because you know different mm-hmm. firms got different business models and will have their own kind of priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that was probably the first key finding was that whole, uh, you know, everybody is focusing on embedding this, um, mm-hmm. but actually, where they're embedding it really varies massively on a on a business-by-business
0: business basis. Yeah. It seems to be that people are looking at different areas and making sure that they perfect every area, which I think is important for ultimately the consumer. Um, But what notable trends or challenges have emerged for advisors in adapting to the post-consumer duty landscape?
1: <sighs> so I... Based a little bit on the research, a little bit on insights from speaking to firms, I would say that certainly our expectation and understanding, given we deal with advisors all the time, is that they were really well placed when consumer duty came in. Because yeah. at, the heart of, at the heart of consumer duty is delivering good customer outcomes. And mm-hmm. the entire purpose of the financial planning advice service is to identify what is the you know what is the right personal outcome for each of their clients and and help them deliver those outcomes. So actually at the heart of the entire by service is delivering good customer outcomes. But uh what the FCA was looking for was a raising in standards. And mm-hmm. certainly our expectation and what and what has come out a bit in the research is that the key focus has been on um I guess evidence in that, and yeah, and monitoring it. So it's about. It's not about are they delivering good customer outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's about taking that step back and thinking: how do I review my processes and controls and tighten things up? Now, the SCA also talks about prioritisation, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and they t- and uh, and they talk about um, kind of materiality uh, in the context of many advice firms can be quite small and not have yeah. the um, and not have the capacity to be to be carrying out the same level of detail as a larger firm. So prioritization and proportionality are really important. But I think where we've seen the majority of firms focus is really that looking at which are the key processes that matter the most in mm-hmm. terms of ensuring that their clients get the best outcome to ensure a consistency approach and then monitor that people are getting the are getting the best. So it's about checking key processes are in place, ensuring that they're being applied consistently, and then identifying um, and then identifying core MI that can be used to chat, track, to check that. Um, so I've heard, uh, I've heard other commentators talk about um, actually the FCA have the FCA consumer duty is not about saying we are delivering good customer outcomes. But it's a bit like, um, if I can use this analogy, given I did do maths at university, yeah. it's a bit like a maths exam, which is you've got to show you're working. You've got to show how mm-hmm. you got there. Because mm-hmm. even if you get it wrong, as long as you've shown you working and demonstrated you've tried, yeah, you're more likely to pick up your mistake and do the right thing. So yeah. very much it was around putting some, you know, reviewing key processes, controls, governance, putting that in place. But importantly, not to the nth degree because of the proportionality, the SEA is just saying, have a look at it, work out what are your key processes and put some controls in there. So don't try and do everything at once. Try mm-hmm. and work out what are the most important things to do and kind of tighten them up.
0: Yeah. I have to say, um, after you said that analogy, I would, maths was not my strongest, um, subject. Um, I was more, uh, a scientist, um, not the physics kind. Um, uh, um, yeah, but I did find, you know, when you do the, when you do the actual formula and you tr- try and work it out, then you can backtrack and go back and see, oh, this is where I, put in the wrong part or something like that and revisit and make yeah. that right and also it helps uh the examiner see your thinking and potentially you might get something out of that but yeah I think it's just a way of keeping those checks and balances so that makes sense
1: to me um, but as could I, add, yeah. could, I, could I add a few things so as part of that we we asked we asked uh we asked the advice of friends that we surveyed what? Um, what am I? They they were gathering. So you know which which things were they focusing on? Tightening up the controls and gathering. Yeah. And again, that was really broad in terms of the different areas. It goes back to the point I made before about different businesses, different priorities. Yeah. But there were a few. There were a few things that came out which I thought were quite interesting. So in, in the long list of things, um, so quite high to the top in terms of the number of people that mentioned it was both reviewing platform financial strength and service standards. So we're really clear, well platform or indeed any service provider, um, we're really clear that an advisor service is very dependent on the platforms and service providers that provide, you know, provide services to them. Mm-hmm. And what we found slightly interesting was there was actually a slightly higher number of advisors picked financial strength than service standards, because we know service right. standards really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would conjecture that one of the reasons why they, picked, why they picked financial strength might be because financial strength kind of underpins that continuity of good service. Whereas, yeah. you know, service at an individual point in time is not enough by itself. It's that combination of we need good service, but we need to know it's going to continue into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was another area which was mentioned, which I think was really, I was really delighted to see, which was staff surveys. So as in the uh, the advisor staff themselves. And that's maybe not immediately obvious in terms of gathering MI to demonstrate embedding good customer outcomes. But cultures, the culture of a firm, the SEA have talked about the culture of the firm matters as the entire culture of the firm should be focusing on good customer outcomes. Mm-hmm. So carrying out staff surveys to ensure that consistency of view and positivity towards the delivery of those services, I think is a really good evidence point to check monitor that the that the whole culture of the organization is is effective towards delivering consumer duty. So mm-hmm. uh, again, this, that staff survey was really kind of delighted to um, see that one called out as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as the industry evolves, uh, what should advisors be doing to enhance their client interactions and meet the consumer duty requirements effectively?
1: Oh, blame that's, uh, that's an interesting one. Um mm-hmm. I think so I think that's down to individual firms. And I think what's clear to us is that actually the entire the entire advice industry is pretty much build up, built on developing strong client relationships and delivering those personal outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I would have said probably the it goes back to what I said before, which is um just ensuring that the process is there. So, that all your clients get that consistent good outcome. So, something about mm-hmm. monitoring, something about monitoring, so probably two things. So, one is about monitoring, ensuring consistency of process to make sure everybody gets a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Another useful area in terms of client relationships might be to focus on potentially vulnerable clients. So, it's another key focus that the SEA called out in Consumer Duty, which is recognizing that some clients need extra help and need a bit of an adaptation to service to ensure that they get a good outcome. Particularly where they've got where they've got potential vulnerabilities. So uh, I guess ensure consistency of approach, but also try and identify those clients that are more at risk of not getting a good outcome. So you can give them a bit of extra support. So really linked to that kind of vulnerability thing.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and um, based on the, your discussions with advisor firms are there any interesting anecdotes or noteworthy strategies that have emerged in response to the consumer duty?
1: Um, So early days, uh, mm-hmm. I would say the key thing that I think most advice firms and certainly we'd be interested in seeing as well is a kind of dear um, NSCA, dear CEO letter aimed at the advice. Yes. We, yeah. have, we haven't really had that yet. There's been... Seems to be an SEA DOCEU letters to every other section of financial <laughs> services industry. And I think that maybe gives it, that maybe gives some insight in terms of where the SEA's head are. Mm-hmm. Um, but anecdotally, I probably uh, I'd maybe call out a couple of things, which I think mm-hmm. I think quite interesting. Um, so the first one is there's a number of firms that we've spoken to um, who are um have recognized that as a result of trying to put this increased governance in place around the financial planning advice service, Mm -hmm. they're also recognising they have to do the same around their investment plan. So if they manage their own centralised investment proposition um, in terms of designing the portfolio and managing that on an ongoing basis, they've Mm recognised that it doubles their work with regard to that kind of documentation of governance. And it's Mm -hmm. really called out to them the fact that they are they're potentially carrying extra risk and extra work in terms of managing managing an investment advice service alongside a financial planning advice service. Um, I'm starting to see an acceleration. I'm not sure we've seen a wholesale move yet of advice firms that weren't planning on outsourcing their CIP. Mm -hmm. Where they were thinking about doing it anyway, we've definitely seen insights of consumer duties being that prod to say, right, I was thinking of doing this anyway. Actually, this has really brought to light the extra controls and effort I need to put in place around the investment advice process. Mm-hmm. So, accelerated looking at outsourcing their CIP, typically to a discretionary managed portfolio service provider. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and that actually came up in terms of one of the things, um, one of the items that firms uh, mentioned in one of our surveys was one of the things that they were actively doing was considering outsourcing to a manage- uh, managed portfolio service provider So one of the, mm-hmm. the specific actions that they were planning on taking off the back of consumer duty. Uh, so that would be one. One. Uh, it's appropriate to some people, but we've definitely yeah. seen an acceleration of that, an acceleration of interest in it anyway. Um, then I guess the other one that I picked up is, this is probably more for medium to larger firms, so there's no mm-hmm. reason why I couldn't apply for smaller firms as well. But for medium to larger firms, you've definitely seen some examples where firms have tried to differentiate their advice service to different segments of their client base Mm -hmm. so for example that that might be two or three segments but I guess a really simple example of that might be an advice firm designing a service which which they call maybe silver gold or even gold and platinum Um, uh, and what does that service look like so it might have a different number of touch points um the high, silver and gold the gold service might be more complicated advice needs, yeah, uh, and then trying to place their client bank into different into different segments and recognize that actually it doesn't need to be a one uh, you know a one size fits all. there can be a different uh, a different advice service based on based on client need. The really important thing that they've identified is that that client need is not necessarily based on the level of assets they've got. It's based mm. on their desire for support and actually the level of complexity in their advice needs. Um, so yeah, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a ramping up of differentiation of um, of advice service with the other ones.
0: Yeah, I think those are all. Um, they all feel obvious to me that you would need to differentiate because everyone's needs and um, circumstances are different. But um, I guess. The implementation of this has allowed for deeper thought into it and that can only again benefit uh, that client. Um, but I also wondered how has the relationship between advisors and clients evolved them deepening their understanding of people's circumstances and differentiating between clients' needs and um, what strategies can advisors employ to navigate this changing dynamic successfully. I assume that means they're having a lot more conversations with some clients than others or, you know.
1: Yeah, it's probably, I don't think it's as much change as we think Um, Mm because. Again, the nature of an individual, a, a personal recommendation, which is what the advice service is, mm-hmm. um, requires you to understand those client needs. So I don't imagine it's fundamentally changed. I've certainly, not seen any evidence of it fundamentally changing the conversation that firms are having, are having with individual clients, because those mm-hmm. those clients' personal needs are the responsibility, and the advisor felt that responsibility anyway. I think it's probably, it, it goes back to that example I gave earlier of that kind of silver and gold service. Mm-hmm. Um, you could imagine the advisor kind of sitting down with the client and explaining more about this is, you know, maybe maybe explaining, we have two services. These are the two services. You, you know, here are the differences. Mm-hmm. Which of these do you think you need? You know, which of these? you know, do you need the kind of basic service where we see you, you know, once a year or actually Mm -hmm. want to be contacted more frequently and have you got kind of more complex needs, which requires a different service at probably a higher price point. Mm -hmm. Um, There's probably a bit more openness and transparency where you've got multiple services, but for a smaller advice firm that's probably provides, you know, a fantastic service at an individual client level, I can't imagine there would have been a fundamental change.
0: Yeah, yeah, it should have always been that way the conversations would have always been happening maybe the only major change would be the frequency in terms of what the client feels and yeah um and Alistair looking ahead uh what proactive steps do you recommend advisors take to ensure ongoing compliance and success in light of consumer duty
1: yeah okay so i probably largely covered this, which is that real focus on governance, controls, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but if not already doing this, and actually all the indications are from the survey that they that they are, because we asked them which of the outcomes they're focusing on, and they all picked they all picked one or two. Um, and you know, what are you doing to kind of gather MI? And, and and everybody said they were gathering some MI and focusing on gathering MI to support demonstrating mm-hmm. good customer outcomes. So there's really pretty clear evidence that everyone was doing it, um, but I would say continue continue to do that and focus on where in your own business model as an advisor firm go through a process to document where do we think is the greatest risk and foreseeable harm of our client bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which process or group of customers are at greatest risk, and mm-hmm. then think right, what can we do to kick the tires? on that process and just enhance and improve it, because the SEA definitely sees consumer duty as, as being a continuous enhancement and continuous improvement process. So it doesn't mean look at everything. It means identify what is the thing that matters the most and then focus an on that. So go through a process of thinking this process or this group of customers are at greatest risk of foreseeable harm, so that's what, that's what we're going to look at and see if we can make it even better. Mm-hmm. How can we make it better? And what and what am I? Can we gather to make sure that everyone's getting the everyone's getting the best outcome? The other thing which I think would be really worth doing is having a look at the dear the FCA Dear CEO letters to other financial uh, sectors because yeah. I think that that can give some useful insight as to potential focus of the FCA in the future. Yeah, particularly where that could where that applies consistently across sectors. Um, but I'll maybe just mention one in particular, which I think is quite. Useful because because as a they probably sit alongside the financial advice sector, which is mm-hmm. a DSEO uh, letter for wealth managers, um, and I guess that focused in particular on three areas. So the recent DSEO letter to wealth managers talked about the importance of controls around financial crime. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: they talked uh, they talked about risk of poor customer outcome. Where they were in either high-risk investments or overly complex products, Mm -hmm. um, and then the potential for overcharging overcharging of some clients. Now, in in the research, um, we also asked the advisor firms that we research. You know, what are the areas of foreseeable harm? So this links to my the earlier point. uh, The earlier point of my answer: Mm -hmm. What are the areas of foreseeable harm that you are most concerned about? You know, which are the types of customer harm that you think are most important and need to be need to be worked on and right at the top of that list were um, the potential for customer fraud which clearly is linked to that financial crime risk um, uh, and then there was also uh, there was also potential for overcharging individual clients was also mentioned quite close to the top so mm. a link with um, advisor firms fuse of the potential for foreseeable harm and that and that FCA gear um, see, dear CEO letter for a wealth manager. So I think that's that's a really useful letter to have a look at to give mm-hmm. a bit of an indication of where the SCA's head, where the FCA's head might be in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to those things, because you don't want to get caught off guard maybe later on and then end up having your own dear, dear CEO letter. Um, but. Also, in your opinion, what broader impacts has uh, consumer duty had on the financial advisory landscape? I know we've covered quite a few points, but are there any additional points you wanted to make as well?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. And actually, I'll 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 link to the last question of our survey here as well in in a minute because it's kind of -hmm. Um, so. I talked earlier about the reliance that advice firms have on on the providers of services which they use.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: I think for advice firms, for their clients, my my hope and expectation, and I expect advisors' hope and expectation, is that consumer duty will see a lifting of standards across all parts of financial services. Mm. That's got to have a positive impact on them. So... Where a financial advice firm um, is relying on platform providers, long-term savings providers, discretionary managers, you know, investment houses, uh, I I mean, whoever, if they see an improvement in standards at those firms, that's got to have a positive knock-on impact in their ability to deliver an effective service for their clients as well. So I would say Mm -hmm. this is still embedding across all parts of the industry, but I hope that advisors are starting to see some changes start to come in from improvements in standards throughout the entire industry. I think mm-hmm. the notable point here is that certainly when we speak to advisors, um, one of the common complaints we get uh, is around service standards and communications, in particular from legacy product providers. Mm-hmm. Of course legacy product providers haven't yet in- haven't yet implemented consumer duty. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to implement consumer duty on their legacy products until the end of July this year. So right. One of the questions. So I think some of that will still, some of that will still need to come through. And hopefully, ad- ad- advisors will have a lot of help in those in those outside cases that you use up on an awful lot of time, and I know they get extremely frustrated with. Well, um, mm-hmm. you know, we asked. So we asked advisor firms, "What are you? Um, what are you doing? What are you planning in advance of that coming in?" Uh, do you have, you know, effectively? Do you have uh, clients who are invested with the, with these legacy product providers, and and actually, what are you doing on that? And we asked, and we asked a range of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, of our sample source, and we allowed them to take more than one answer within the survey. But twelve percent of those surveys said it basically uh, they weren't, they didn't need to do anything and 13% Mm -hmm. said that they didn't have any clients affected, and there's probably an overlap of that. So that would imply Mm -hmm. that the vast majority of advice firms that we surveyed um, do have clients that are in that kind of position, um, and they're either waiting for the provider to do something or taking proactive action to reach out to those providers and asking them what their plans are with regard to consumer duty. So I think there's been a real focus on what consumer duty was implemented last year, um, and we're coming up to the six-month anniversary of that. But we're also coming mm-hmm. up to the six-month anniversary in advance of the legacy the legacy product providers having to implement this as well. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely a hope and expectation from advisors that things things will start to improve after that date.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And finally, I wanted to know... Um, if there are any spe- specific challenges or opportunities that advisors should anticipate as regulatory expectations continue to evolve, and if you had any further findings you wanted to add,
1: so I don't, I don't think directly linked to consumer duty, but there's probably there's probably an overarching piece here, um, which uh, which relates to what type of client. What type of client do I think the FCA is focused on, from a right. perspective, um, and and actually what what that might mean, what that might mean for uh, advice firms? And there's a couple of things, uh, there's a couple of items which are ongoing from the FCA at the moment, which I think potentially gives a good insight here. So the FCA and Treasury announced uh, or published a policy paper, discussion paper back last year about the advice guidance boundary. Mm -hmm. looking at the ability for product providers to do what's called targeted support, which is, for want of a better word, a bit of, you know, kind of personalised guidance. So it's still guidance, but you can use some client personal data to try and help nudge them to a better outcome. And Mm they also looked at introducing a new form of simplified advice. Um, Now, the interesting piece within the policy paper is they are suggesting that simplified advice is only suitable or those people in accumulation who are saving, mm-hmm. not in not in retirement, because uh, they believe that people need because of the level of complexity of people of, of advice needs in retirement or in uh, decumulation, mm-hmm. um, and they think that people need full holistic advice that simplified advice won't cut it. Um, so I think that's that's one interesting point to note is the SEAs focus on how complex people's needs and their potential increased vulnerability, if I can refer back to my own comments, of those mm-hmm. people in the, in the at retirement and post-retirement kind of advice space, which, of course, is where advisors have absolutely focused because that is where things get more complex and people need more help and therefore more advice. Uh, and has led to a whole kind of boom of advice in that space. The other thing ongoing is... Um, the SCA uh, obviously initiated a review of retirement income advice in February last year. We're still awaiting the outcome of that. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the dear, um, dear CEO letter to financial advice firms made, made reference to both consumer duty and retirement income advice. So retirement yes. income advice is, is complex. The SCA recognizes mm-hmm. complex and mm-hmm. they're doing a review of how, of how that pans out I would mm-hmm. be surprised if that was an area that uh, the area that the SCA focused on um, mm. and, and therefore that um, which I'm sure advisors are, uh, and yes. therefore an area that advisors might want to focus on too,
0: yeah, definitely. It is uh, even from our own audience, it is an area that a lot of advisors have been quite um almost anxious about uh with uh impending changes um and the review coming up so you know it's something that we will keep watching out for. Um but uh is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up, Alistair?
1: No, I think I've covered I've covered everything that I wanted <laughs> to do for my survey. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, overarching, look, real evidence that I think two kind of key points is real evidence of advice firms taking this seriously and and, and uh, taking action. Uh, I was really delighted to see the range of MI that mm-hmm. advisors are focusing on um, either looking at or, or enhancing, which is mm-hmm. exactly what the FCA want. What the FCA want is is that kind of showing your working piece. And yes. I think demonstrating that you've got MI, you're having a look at it, you're checking that people are getting good outcomes. We'll do two things. It'll give the SCA assurance that you're taking this seriously. It'll yeah. also help you to spot when things are going wrong. Because you know, things, exactly. I mean, the best will in the world, things things, things will always go wrong. We all have, we all have, um, we all have complaints.
0: Yeah. Uh, I wish we did. And we're all fallible. <laughs>
1: exactly. We all have complaints, but I think complaints are a fantastic opportunity, obviously, to go and uh work out where things have gone wrong and make them and make them even better. So um uh, yeah, complaints was definitely one of the top ones in terms of in terms of areas that advisors said they were they were actively looking at.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much for this um, for joining me on this podcast episode, Alistair. I think uh, a lot of those research findings were very, very interesting, and we'll be interested to see you know what the outcome might be a year from now. You know, once the lenders have also um, come in and added their. Implementation of the consumer duty as well. Um, So maybe we'll pick this up again.
1: Yes, absolutely. This is well. This is this is definitely going to keep. It's going to keep running on and on. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you.
1: Absolutely delighted. Thanks very much.
0: thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition Money Marketing magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.